Welcome to the Good Bottle Podcast. Join Chris and Drew, two self-proclaimed boost pundits with a lifetime of industry experience as they walk you through the alcohol business and how today's headlines affect the industry. Each week, the guys will be joined by a special guest that will help them break down these stories and offer their own expertise to the podcast. So, pour yourself a glass of your favorite drink and sit back. This is the Good Bottle Podcast. Goddamn right it is. My name is Christopher Sinclair. I am your host today and... I guess this time I'm also joined by my co-host, Drew Garrison, and we're we're all pretty happy about that, aren't we, Drew? We're so happy, and um, I liked how we, we talked so much about you fading that music out and then just did not happen <laughs> at all. Yeah, just you be, like be careful what you wish for. End. That's right. It's, I mean, I think it's, it's just the ongoing... Um, you know, the ongoing growth of this podcast is we like try to figure these things out and we try to embrace the different methods that Zencaster gives us. And as we were both talking about earlier, it's like, you know what we need to do is we actually need to start giving these people feedback so they know about all the issues that we continue to have. Cause like we got to a point when we were, when we were using their former system where like, I felt like we had it dialed in and then they rolled out this new version. They're like, Hey, do you want to trial it? And it's been very difficult and we haven't let them know that it's been difficult. So, but that's not for anybody else to, to be worried about. What we're going to continue to do is, is pump out as much good content as we can. With that said, uh, we have all right. some- let's, let's like take care of, of some people's expectations here. We're, we're going to pump out content. It's good content. If it's good. Get the right mindset. <laughs> all right. My bad. Get in the right mindset, sir. This is this is good stuff. We actually, I actually heard from people this past week who made a reference to the podcast in conversation form, and I was just like, "Wow, I didn't know that you listened." That's really cool. Um, but, but but to bring us back to our housekeeping, so if if you know you guys are following us on our Instagram or Facebook, you saw that we put a little note in that um, our guest last week, Kelly Babineau from LBV Imports, was confusing her shipping routes. And so she thought that the Suez Canal affected her wine. It does not at all. She goes to the Panama Canal. It didn't, it, it just, it had no bearing whatsoever <laughs> on when stuff was coming or anything like that. And it's important to point out, and we did in the post as well, that she, she has been, and we, and we talked about it in the episode where she's been running ragged and it is her second gig. But the one thing that we didn't mention in the post was that she had mentioned that she'd been worrying about it for like a week, a week and a half as all these things were happening. And it was just like all this stress that she gave this, this issue with the Suez Canal was completely irrelevant to her. And so I just really feel for her in that situation. So Kelly, we love you. Um, don't worry about the mistake because we all make them. And I'm, I'm just glad that my confusion over her shipping routes was justified, you know, because as she was explaining it, I was like, I don't understand any of this. None of this makes sense. And it turns out it's just because it didn't. Um, and then the second thing was we uh, we ended up getting a correction on the stock market offering price for our, um, for the other story that we covered. And originally, and it was, and this is what we pulled from the story itself was that it was going to be ninety dollars a share. And Chris, what was the actual what's the actual IPO price for that? Uh, that would be nine, uh, nine, nine cents, nine, nine, nine cents, nine cents is an introductory, uh, public offering. 
which is a far cry from the $90 and makes this a little bit more of a um, obtainable investment for, for us laymen. So, so that was, so that's another thing. So if you, so if you do want to get, it was death, it was a uh, gin, gin and luck and death and co. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if gin, you want to luck being the parent company for death and co. So don't be discouraged as much as we were last week. They're definitely not valuing themselves as half as valuable as Disney. It's significantly less, way more of an approachable uh, entry price. Um, but with all, all, so now that that's our house, cle- that's our housekeeping and getting all that stuff kind of cleared up. We want to make sure that we do make up for those mistakes that we make. And uh, like I said, we're going to make a lot of them. But we have a good show tonight. It's a really fun one. Of course, we're going to be drinking some really good stuff. We've actually already been debating on who has like, where these things are from and what makes them good. And you guys are going to get a lot more of that with our guest tonight. And um, our stories, we're going to cover a uh, restaurateur who just got 15 years for a Ponzi scheme and then the state of our industry and why workers are not returning to the restaurant business. So tonight's guest is has been present on this podcast since day one. He is a longtime listener, but, but, but first time caller. Damn it. Um, I was going to say that, (laughs) but always, always here with the music. And he's one half of the brothers more. Our guest tonight is Leon Moore. who You can find, um, what, what, what's that fancy restaurant that you, that you hang your hat at now? Oh, that, that fancy little thing. Uh, Alora. In East Sacramento. Oh, yeah. Ooh. Oh my gosh! Just <laughs> that type that type of place where you know you you you, t- you go out and you're just kind of like I am not nice enough to be in this spot because it's so beautiful. But then the staff is amazing; they make you feel welcome, and the food's great. Um. So so Leon, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thank you for giving us the amazing intro and outro music that we have. That. Oh. Now that we do video for all of our guests, all of them dance to it. Nice. Um, assuming that we can get the music to work, I would have <laughs> to assume that our listeners at home also do a little dance when they're when they're hearing this stuff because it is there's there's some sick beats, bro. Thanks, man. And we do we do appreciate it. So, um, Leon, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you happen to be sipping tonight? All right. Well, thank you for having me on, guys. Um, I'm a little upset, firstly, because I really wanted to say, hey, uh, long-time listener, first-time caller, because I I pride myself. I've listened to every single episode except for last week's one. So, Kelly, I'm really sorry for that one. So I've got some listening to do when I drive my kids to school tomorrow morning. But every week when I'm driving my boys to school, it's, it's jumping in the morning. So they get to hear couple of degenerates basically <laughs> talk about booze and they're you know getting them trained young anyways um yeah happy to be on uh what was the question <laughs> just what am i doing i'm just Where like uh so no 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 yeah who 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 are you why why should people um take anything that you have to say seriously tonight like what's what's the credentials? Run us down some brief resume. Give us some highlights. Man. Um, okay. Well, currently I am uh, running the bar program at the beautiful restaurant known as Alora in East Sacramento, uh, which is you know Italian fine dining, seafood focused, but just a beautifully eclectic list uh, of of wines that Elizabeth Rose has cultivated, uh, whether they're from Italy. Um, 
or not, it's all Italian. So say you have Barbera, it's not going to be, uh, I mean, say you have like a Cabernet, it's not going to be from Napa. It'll be maybe a Cabernet from Tuscany or, you know, Chardonnay from, from up North uh, in Italy, or, you know, it's just really, really cool what they've put together and they've been kind enough to let me take the helm of running the, uh, the cocktail program there. So I'm slinging drinks there, all Italian inspired at some degree. Um, I've kind of been in the biz for a long time. Um, you know, uh, used to be the Psalm at a uh, Canon. I, I got my certified, I guess, uh, pin probably, I don't know, maybe eight or nine years ago when I was um, bartending at the Red Rabbit with Chris Sinclair here. Uh, bartended there for many years with him. And, you know, before that, I was bartending also at the Red Lotus, which oddly enough was in the same building. Um, it's kind of where I got started, actually. And shout out to, you know, Mark Newhauser for kind of taking me on in my young, brash days and letting me make make some cocktails because that kind of sparked it all. Uh, before that, you know, I was serving, I was busting tables. I, I've kind of done it all. Um, haven't been a dishwasher, but I did wash tennis courts as my first job. <laughs> yeah, that's real interesting. Were they were they uh, were they clay? Was no. it uh, cement? Was it, it grass was, tennis court? It was cement, but it was at the – there's this place right in East Sacramento called Sutter Lawn. And I was like, I think, 15 at the time. And I would just show up with my disc man and some Wu-Tang and, or like Dizzy Gillespie. That's what I was really into at the time. And I would just be pretty stoned and just listen to music and <laughs> quote, unquote, wash these tennis courts when everyone was gone. So it was just me there by myself. Uh Back in the days. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's some of my career in a nutshell. Um, wine background now turned barman, if you will. I think you're I think you're doing a little bit of underselling when it comes to to really your wine knowledge. Um, I think it, it's almost you're almost like an encyclopedia and the things that you remember it just it blows my mind at times and and we're fortunate enough in our industry to kind of be surrounded by by a, like a lot of really talented psalms and stuff like that but and i don't think i've ever told you this to your face but like it's just you really do convey it in the most matter of fact way than anybody else <laughs> like it's just and it's not and it's not like a dig or anything like that it's just kind yeah. of like it's it's definitely that confidence of i've put the work in i really give many shits about this and this is why I'm telling you. So there's, um, I'm trying to think of the right, the right phrase in here. That doesn't make you sound like a dick. Cause I guess that kind of makes you sound. No, no, that's okay. There. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was waiting for Chris to get that little dig in there. Well, I think maybe he just, you know, you say everything with intent and I, and I really like that. And I hope that comes across on tonight's episode and I hope people, um, you know, visit Alora and get your, cocktail you know recommendations and i think there's also just like the sense of pride that you take in it and i remember at one like the one of the times that i went there with my wife and you were really proud of this cocktail and like and every cocktail you brought out to us you're just like you know you break the whole thing down you know and it was just kind of like i mean it was kind of like a okay now let me watch you drink it you know (laughs) 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 yeah which is really fun but what okay so are, are you sipping on anything tonight i am um 
I, I no longer consume alcohol, um, but I'm drinking a delicious mocktail um, that I have put together from the wonderful lineup of the Liars Company, which is not like you're lying, but liars like the liar bird of Australia. Um, they, uh, I'll elaborate on that and why it's so cool in just a second, but I'm drinking their... Uh, their non-alcoholic gin and their aperitif uh, rosso and their um, or their orange aperitivo and their uh, and their aperitif rosso. So essentially, like a no alcohol Negroni, a no groni, if you will, and it's delicious. Uh, put a little soda water in there as well for some for some bubs with my new Soda Stream, which I'm extremely thrilled about. Um, and it's, it's lovely. extremely, they yeah. should call it a soda extreme. Mm. All right. So now is when I'm going to, I'm going to go now. <laughs> <laughs> the dad jokes just aren't getting better. There's too many dads here. This is overwhelming. I know. Right. So, so tell us, so tell us about the, the liars. Oh yes. Like why is that significant? Why is that significant to you? Well, you know, I'm I'm an Aussie, um, born and raised. So it's not just because of that that it's good, but the lyre bird, spelled L-Y-R-E, is an extraordinary mimicking bird. Um, I mean, if you just Google lyre bird, and you'll see this clip with David Attenborough, he's like in the forest watching this bird, and it's just rattling off these fucking crazy sounds, man. Like it imitates all of the birds in its environment to kind of compete with its mates and also copies sounds that are not birds, like of foresters cutting down trees with their chainsaws and shit, or like people taking pictures of the birds and they'll do the sound of like a camera. It's fucking wild. So for a company to be called Liars is cool because it's like mimicking alcohol. I just think it's brilliant marketing. So shout out to Liars for making me think that I'm, I'm <laughs> drinking, but I'm not. You know, they've got a whole lineup of really dope stuff too. Nice, nice. We always like good, good options that give you that that little uh, the fix of alcohol, but not really being it because everybody knows we need a break every now and then. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chris, what what about you, sir? What's uh what's that wine that you're that you're sipping on? Yeah, uh, before I get to that, I uh, am going to uh, second the fact that that um, Alora is a very fancy restaurant, and I'm going to do it in the form of a story. Uh, uh, <laughs> you all know uh, me, uh, at least the sound of my voice, and that's so often the case with people who are uh, in my general uh, geographical location. And uh, uh, usually most of my friends are, are like pretty good with it. They're pretty cool. And uh, sometimes I embarrass people, but, you know, fuck them. Um, uh, but Alora is so, so nice of a place that uh, when I go in there, my two friends who uh, work there, both Leon and uh, Elizabeth Rose, who owns it, 
uh, are very used to me. They're very used to how I am and how boisterous and gregarious I am uh, until the doors open. Uh, and then uh, the second my mouth opens and the doors are open there, they always seem to give me this look that goes, you motherfucker, you need to shut the fuck up because we have people <laughs> who are paying a lot of money who are here and you're making us look bad and pretending uh, we're just going to pretend that we just don't know you as well as we do. Um, and so Alora is that place. It's one of the only places, uh, the only other place I've ever felt bad about, like just being me, uh, is probably, um, uh, bar leather apron, uh, in, in, uh, Honolulu. <laughs> uh, it's probably the other place where I was like, fuck, I'm going to put myself in a corner now, uh, <laughs> because I'm, I'm just loud. I'm, that's who I am. Uh, so we so, gotta, yeah. we gotta tell we gotta tell Leon right now is that we can hear everything in the background. So you got all the drumming, so all Chris's, the it, yeah. And Chris's story about being loud, Leon was moving around and doing all kinds of loud things. So oh. we got so we got to call you out now because the last time that this happened was it? It was Raphael, right? And we told him we're like, hey, we can hear everything. Like you think that we can't? We can hear everything. And so he was like, okay, cool. I got it. I got it. And then he kept doing stuff, but you could tell he was trying to be quieter, but you could still hear him. <laughs> and so we just try to make sure that's as okay. aggressively yeah. conveyed as well. Cause there's going to be a lot of background noise and we know, we know a lot of people don't want to necessarily hear that. So, mm-hmm. so Leon, just a heads up, right. Chris, back, back to you. And you finally be All respectful. Right. What are you actually sipping on? I am drinking a Domaine Peron. Uh, Montalisuco Burgundy. It is quite lovely. It is a luscious red wine. Mm, notes of grapes. Tastes of booze. Good God. It would be French. <laughs> it's lovely. Um, uh, before we hit record, uh, Leon was trying to tell me that this wine uh, was a Cotarone. No, and he's fucking wrong. That's not what I said, and I'm gonna clear. You this did say Cotaron. Okay, so what you said was I'm drinking Domaine Perrin, and I said, "Oh, cool." Is it like what they're Cotaron? And you said, "No, it's a Burgundy," which would imply that it's Pinot. I but said, "No, t- it's a Burgundy." You fucking idiot. Okay, yes, you did say that. <laughs> but the the Perrin family, the Perrin family, is known for their their Rhone wines. Like they own. Chateau Beaucastel, which is like one of the more baller Chateauneuf du Pops that, that are out there. And they might have some, you know, some burgundy holdings, which is good for you, but you can check it, man. <laughs> Domain Perrin. It is good for me. Yeah. It is good for me. <laughs> I hope me. it's I, delicious. Uh, I love it. <laughs> It is. It's really, it's really good. Uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, Leon and I are like brothers and we do nothing except for talk shit to each other yeah, literally all the time. Shit, so I'm going to try man. to be nice. <laughs> uh, I'm going to try to be really nice uh, this time, but um, uh, it just comes out. Uh, so uh, I apologize to everyone except for fucking Leon. Drew, what are you drinking? Oh, <laughs> it's... Um... I mean, and just so our listeners know, like this is this has already been going on for a while until we got we actually hit record. So this isn't going to end anytime yeah, soon. It's probably going to get a. You speak so matter of factly. I was like, yeah, like ten minutes ago before this call. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, fair enough. You do. Fair enough. And uh, yeah, it was a lot of brutal stuff. That alone. But um, 
So I'm drinking uh, this Cabris wine, and this is from Portugal. Um, this is a brand new addition to to our portfolio. And um, at at first, and, and I know I've I've talked about this stuff before. It's like you know you kind of get these things added into the portfolio, and it's like oh, this is the number one wine in Hungary. You're kind of like who cares. Um, or the number one beer in Bosnia, and you're kind of like, like that is not a selling point. And um, ninety six points, I, Robert Parker. Well, yeah, and and this one actually got ninety one from uh, or ninety from Wine Spectator and a couple other ones. But uh, so I, I I got this bottle and I picked up a couple different ones from from this uh, from this winery. And what I learned is, you know, this this is. Uh, part of a DOC it's called it's from the Dow region in Portugal which is where you get a lot of like our port wines and things like that but additionally what they also do is they produce these really interesting um like table wines and these these red blends and so um this one is a blend of and I'm and I'm going to butcher this but we all kind of know that when it comes to my pronunciations uh Aragonese uh Toriga Nacional and then the Alfrochero, and two of them, just based on my research, are kind of like different types of Tempranillo. And then the the Alfrochero, I couldn't couldn't really find anything outside of them, just kind of being a an added like a wine that they include in that really brings a lot of darkness to to the wine. But um, but it's super affordable. It's a some it's a sub ten dollar wine, and I just I'm a huge fan of it. And I think a, a little bit of a chill on it is going to make it a great summer summer red like it doesn't i mean it's it's light it's still refreshing but it has a little bit of body to it but without it being overwhelming and so um so i'm actually really really excited about this one i think it's going to be a lot of fun and i think a lot of people are are going to get introduced to it and really enjoy it and they do a couple other expressions as well of course they have like a reserve line and then they do um and actually an all organic line too so so it'll be really interesting but yeah the the winery is called cabris and uh, like like the whole wine world right now, it just is getting me going in a different direction. Like, oh, I you know didn't really understand like what this might be. Like, I've, of course, I've heard of ports, and you know, I know of Vino Verdes, and now it's like, oh, look at these little cool cool reds that they're doing as well. But it's a, it's super tasty, and and I'm really really excited about the fact again that it's sub ten dollars. You know, it's good to get a wine that's cheap and also easy to drink. Yeah, amen. Well, uh, to be clear, though, it's it's sub ten dollars uh, on your side uh, from the from the distributor, not not on the shelf necessarily. It, yeah, but even with that, so it, it's probably like sub twelve. Yeah. Then, if you're thinking about you know, so I mean, anytime you can find a, a beater, you know, for twenty or under, that you can just knock back every day without breaking the bank. That's always a win. Yeah, it's like it's like yes, I will take a case I mean, of that's that. Delicious, yeah. And, and not feel the financial burden, but um, but you know, with 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 all that said, I think it's time for um, our opinions on facts that we've heard from reputable sources. Okay, so our first story tonight has to do with restaurateur Gina Champion Kane, who is based out of the San Diego area. And she recently just got sentenced to 15 years in prison for um, a Ponzi scheme 
that totaled just less than $400 million. Um, she took investors' funds intended as loans for liquor licenses and funneled them into her yeah, restaurants and good. personal use. And then um, her big, this is the biggest scheme that has been pulled off in Southern California, according to one of the local uh, DAs. And in all total, it really was $372 million from 490 investors. Um, Ponzi schemes are obviously something that we're all like somewhat familiar with. And even some of these practices aren't completely foreign to us here in our area. But um, you guys, uh, and I'll start with you. We'll start with you, Leon. When when you see something like this, and then you know you read you read through it, and you know it's kind of hard to really convey emotion and stuff. But you know she seemed apologetic and all these things, but she's still going away for fifteen years. What were what were some of your reactions? And you know, do you know anyone who might be doing this to you? Shit, I hope not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's pretty crazy, man. She deserves every bit of it. You can't say sorry after the fact. She was doing that for years. And I think she stole, like, what was it? Hundreds of millions of dollars. Like, with all those investors, that was like damn near a million a pop from each of those people she got, I think, when I was doing the math on that. That's that's wild. Yeah, yeah. There's... Um... At, at one point she expressed that she got so far in deep that she couldn't, she couldn't walk away right. from the lifestyle. And she was too obsessed with feeling like the person who could make you money, even though she was just stealing money from you. Um, Chris, what, what about you? What are some of your reactions uh, to this? Uh, I laughed at the, uh, at the judge's remarks uh, in which he, uh, uh, her lawyer, attempted to, you know, um, pro prolong her time out of jail, uh, by suggesting that she, she, you know, helped throughout the course of the investigation, um, that she was, um, able and willing cooperative. and cooperative, put yeah. her hands up and just said, fine. Uh, but, uh, then you read further on you realize that, uh, her partner also was caught and, uh, he threw her under the bus first. Uh, and apparently <laughs> she has, she, uh, she, uh, was not helpful and at, in his trial. And so, um, uh, the judge was like, well, it would be counterintuitive for me to say you're correct that you were unhelpful in this trial and then turn around and also say, mm, okay, seems like you played fairly in this one. So he said, no, go fuck yourself. You're going to jail. Like immediately 15 years right off the bat. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I feel for her, I guess, a little bit in terms of like this idea of like getting in over your head and just uh, needing to, I, I, you know, uh, feeling like the next, it's kind of like a gambler, right? Like the next hit is going to be what makes you even, right? Correct. And so like just going along and with this addiction. So I, I can understand that. I have zero sympathy for it whatsoever but at least in terms of like a logic i can i can follow that logic a little bit i i wonder though like if you're handing over damn near a million dollars uh and you aren't um asking for receipts and you're not checking in on how your investment's doing um you know i i also i i find it hard to have 
very much sympathy, at least for for those for some of those people. I understand that not everybody is super wealthy and they could just fork over a million fucking dollars. Uh, and she probably cleaned some people out and they're never going to see that money again because um, it just doesn't exist anymore because it's been spent. It's gone. And that. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that, that was something that was mentioned by the prosecutor is that there, you know, there's there's it's very unlikely that people will get will get their money back in, um, you know, but to to your point, And I think I think why this stuck out to me is, you know, both of you guys have been in this industry for a long time and you've been in different roles and you've done, you know, different things. And both of them, you know, to certain degrees is managing different different parts of it. And I'm just curious from from your perspective and, you know, and Chris, you've been, you've been a part of a couple different openings as well. And, um, you know, is it a situation where a lot of openings, it, a lot. Okay. So a lot, a lot of, a lot a lot of, of openings. openings. Yeah. Is it, you know, one, again, as it was pointed out, one of the things that, that got pointed out here was it would, this money would be given to her and it would go into an escrow account and then it would be paid out um, to to different investors and, and things like that. And it was and it, the intent was for it to to buy a liquor license. Which, like, let's say we we bring it close to home, you know, and it's Placer County. Like, you're paying over a hundred thousand dollars for these liquor licenses, right? If you if you want to get one of those things, well, that's um, I mean, that's that's a stretch over a hundred thousand. I mean, when we talked to Brian Brian Nelson up in Tahoe City, he paid almost a hundred thousand. He was, I think, when it was all said and done with lawyer fees and everything like that, he was closer to like eighty, right? Okay, so so it's you know regardless, and that's, it's and a that's, lot of money, that's but totally on the high end. I mean, that's that's a lot of money. Yeah. Um, okay, so then, so with all that said, I mean, if if this woman is is obviously being handed hundreds of millions of dollars, I mean, in your position, I mean, is there is there anything that you've seen over the years that you can kind of be like, hey, watch out for this type of person, or because people are constantly looking for investments. Like I know I'm looking for investments at a, at a certain point, and in this and in this woman's position, she had this restaurant group. They had I think three to four different spots, so there's definitely the um, the perception of success. But in your guys's opinions, like, is there anything that that maybe looks like a red flag for people who potentially want to invest into the restaurant business. Leon, I'll let you field that one first. Well, I mean, if they're not getting anything back, even if it's just like a receipt of goodwill, like come on, it that's crazy. Why would, yeah. I mean, she got three, I think 400 million from over, 490 or 500 investors. So she was doing this to a lot of people. I'm amazed that nobody caught onto this sooner. Um, right. I don't know. I mean, what did you say? What would the red flags be if I was in that position? Well, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it, and obviously, it, I mean, the hindsight is 2020, right? It's sure. just kind of like, like, how did you not know that that you were getting duped? But you know, we do we do have people in our industry and people that we know that are going through a similar situation right now, where their whole thing was like we were getting cooked books, like we didn't know, and I didn't take I didn't take the time because unfortunately most people naturally default to being trustworthy, right? Yeah. So if you're looking at this woman, you're kind of like, well, she's got four restaurants, 
you know, and they're all busy and she's living this, what appears to be a glamorous life. Now, obviously this is getting paid for by the other investors and stuff like that. And no one's getting paid out, but it just makes me, it just makes me wonder. I mean, again, you guys have this plethora of experience with, with new, with new people. And maybe it's not necessarily to look out for, for this, but you know, is there, is there situations that you're like, this is almost foolproof. I know nothing's ever foolproof, but like, or is there something that you're kind of like, Hey, this concept I think really works right now. Maybe we spin into that. Cause I know this is maybe too specific and it's hard to really identify, you know, what's a, what's going to be a Ponzi scheme in this scenario. But like, if you were investing in a restaurant, I'm going to start with you, Leon, what <clears throat> type of restaurant and, or maybe wine bar, whatever, what are you investing right now? If you had the funds? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, what am I investing in right now if I had the funds? I mean, right now is kind of a unique time because people are so antsy to get back out. So I think a lot of things would be would be hot. I mean, for me, I've always wanted to invest <clears throat> into something that has an element of music to it. Like if somebody pitched me an idea like, oh, I've got this great restaurant that you know or this bar that we're we're gonna have you know dope live jazz or something you know like i would kind of my ears i would go from six to midnight pretty quickly on that <laughs> <laughs> to say to say the least i mean that would be something that i would be invested in I don't know about this whole natural wine fad that's going on right now. It's it's hot. I mean, maybe that would pay out, but you know, props to people who are doing it. That's just not really what I personally like, um, just as far as actual wine goes. But investing into, I mean, that's a tough one, man. I haven't really thought about this too much. You're, you're putting me on the spot here. I'm going to stick with my initials. This is what I'm here for. Yeah. I'm going to stick with my initials, something that has an element of live music. I think people are missing that in their lives. And to be able to have dope drinks and dope music, I would I would be in if I trust the person and I had the money. Okay. Okay, Chris, what about, what about you? What are you investing in right now? Well, so I, I think there's – there's sort of an element that needs to be understood about when, when something like this gets pitched and at least, you know, our, our understanding our harsh reaction and, and sort of like curbing it a little bit um, in terms of why people might not have figured out so soon. First of all, when you're investing money, usually the payout doesn't start for a few years, right? Like you're not, you're not going to start seeing a return uh, in a little while, uh, much less if you're investing in restaurants. Oftentimes um, the way, LLC um, uh, investments work is um, you start getting paid out when when the LLC starts seeing profit, right? So, um, and and if you're seeing cooked books like Drew Drew mentioned, then and and you're not clever enough, or you don't have someone clever enough to to spot the red flags, um, and. and being clever enough, I, I definitely mean being clever enough. I mean, if someone were just to walk up to you and show you a spreadsheet full of numbers and be like, "We good," you you probably wouldn't know what to look for, you know, unless you run restaurant numbers before. So it's 
it's not necessarily their fault that in like five years down the road, you know, someone may or may not have shown them cooked books um, that they didn't catch it. Um, so I, we should be a little empathetic to, to that at least. I would also say um, though, that my first red flag in this was that uh, people were told and believed that money was going into escrow. If money goes into escrow, there's usually paperwork. Um, and in this case, there wasn't actually an escrow. And for this Ponzi scheme, the money was literally going in one side and going out the other, uh, being siphoned off the top a little bit for, for her own benefit. Um, uh, so some of probably her early investors got some of their money back, maybe. Um, and then the later investors, as she probably borrowed more and more to pay back more and more people, they're not going to see anything if they saw anything whatsoever. Um, I would say that the first, the first question that I have, if someone were to approach me with this and say, Hey, I need money to buy liquor licenses. I would say, okay, how are those being attached? Where are they going? Um, what's the liquor license for? And then if they're probably not for anything, someone will say, well, uh, we are, we are, uh, purchasing them so that way we can resell them like a broker. Um, Mm -hmm. The issue with that, uh, for those of you who don't know, is that liquor licenses need to be attached to a physical address um, and you can't have more than one attached to a physical address to any specific physical address, Uh, which there's some nuances to like you can, uh, for instance, like my, my liquor license at the store, I can, I can, um, by letter of the law, I'm not allowed to attach another liquor license to it, but I could, I in practice can find like a, a similar liquor license, uh, that can work in conjunction with it and attach it to the same, same address. So that's a lot of information for people who, who might not be in the know with like the nuances of how this works. Um, but for me, that would be the first thing, sort of the first red flag is saying, okay, you have four restaurants, you need money to buy, to buy this liquor license. Another thing that's really important to know is, uh, through the state of California, um, a liquor license, um, of this type, uh, at most, and that's again, if you're going through the state of California runs about 15 grand. Uh, and that's if you're lucky enough to get it through the lottery, if you're buying it from somewhere else, it can go it can go much higher. Like we said, uh, if you're looking at like San Francisco, if you're going to LA it can go much higher, but then again, how many do you need and for what purpose? Right. And even if you're buying them, like let's say in California, if you're getting one out of the out from the lottery, um, then it needs to be attached to that property for no less than two years. Um, so you can't transfer it. Um, so you can't like win it and then sell the rights to someone else. They, state of California needs you to have it operate it and hold on to it for, for a certain amount of time. Um, so those would be like the biggest red flags to me is, is that sort of the two foundational aspects that she may mention don't add up to me, right? Like the money's going into an escrow. Okay. But I never saw any paperwork from said escrow, um, that like says, okay, this is where the money is or B why, why you need so many liquor licenses, right? Like that would, that would confuse me. Yeah. Um, and then, so in terms of your, in terms of your, like kind of like the, a bar that you would invest in that you think is a, a workable concept right now, what, uh, what, what are you looking into? 
Um, I want the story. I want to know the. Um, I want to know the the details and the experience. Um, if someone's serious about about actually curating um, a new venue, even even if they're not um, natural entertainers, let's say let's say they're just doing it for a business experience. Uh, regardless, they have, they have some idea of what the concept is, you know, like they, they've walked through the space in their mind several times. Um, and they'll be able to give you that sort of that, that experience. And then on top of that, if they're, if they are competent, they'll have numbers run. They'll be able to tell you sort of what, um, what, what the, theoretical output of the place will be. Um, and they may or may not be able to give you several different tiers of how that's going to run over the first few years. So all of those things would be things that I would look for, for competency and someone who actually knows what they're doing. And then on top of that, you know, having, having someone who has a, a solid plan for payback, you know, um, it, even if it is with an LLC, which, is totally common, totally fine. Um, uh, not that an LLC should like scare anybody, but um, let's say it's LLC or an S corp. Um, how those payments? Uh, actually, that's a great point. If if it's an S corp, you have certain types of payments that are allowed. And then if you have an LLC, you have other types of paybacks that are allowed. And there's a very key legal um, uh, distinction between the two in terms of how investments and loans work with those two different types of corporate entities. Um, so if I'm investing with someone, it would have to be with someone who knew all that stuff because they were going through it. And which means that they're semi legit. If, if you get past that, um, then it's, I, I gotta, gotta say, it's not your, re- not really your fault if you get duped. Not that it's really your fault if you get duped anyway, because you got duped. You're not, I don't think it's fair to expect people to just always be on the lookout for getting suckered all the da- damn time. It's, it sucks. It's, it's kind of shitty, but there's, there's a certain amount of time where you got to start at very least like questioning your surroundings a little bit when things start not adding up, right? Totally. What about you, Drew, man? Like, what, like, what, what do you think would be viable at this point in time that like you feel would be a safe investment? Um, coffee and wine. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. That no, that's no where. I, yeah, that that's where I'm at. I mean, you know, we're we're jumping the gun a little bit right now, but um, I think. Uh, I think I think labor is going to be a real issue moving forward, and so like if you can do things that that keeps keeps that overhead as as low as possible, and you know, kind of a kind of a grab and go situation. Um, uh, I I think there's there's concepts out there like let's say something. Like, have you been to to Gary's in Napa? No, it's just like you know they have like a they have like a little sandwich spot. There's like there's like you grab and go salads, lots of cheeses, and then lots of wine and spirits. I would like to do something like that, but like way scaled down, you know, where you can just it can be an intimate setting um, and, and stuff like that. Not a whole lot of square footage, and then you know really food that is 
just easy. I mean, and if I could get away with it, just no food at all, because it just seems yeah. like that's always the nightmare nightmare scenario. And and I think when you know, I, when when people talk to me about this industry, and it's kind of been my longstanding thing, it's like you know, would you ever would you ever get into a restaurant or or <coughs> a bar? And and for the most part, no. I just I just don't think that the I don't think that the margins are there. Like it's not really a, a, a scenario or an industry where you're going to make money, you know? And I think if you're, if you're not going to make money, like why, unless you're super passionate about that industry, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for you to invest in something like that. And now I've seen so many of my friends go through this over the years. And, and of course the past year has just been a complete mind fuck for all of them. But it's just like I, I see what they do and it's just kind of like, no, like that's just that's not anything that I want to be, you know, a part of. Like if if I was to do and this is actually more so like my wife's dream is that she eventually wants to have like a little coffee and wine bar. Like that's the only thing she want to do. But she wants to do that much later in life where it's just kind of like, you know, what it's really going to turn into just a place for us to hang out with our friends, <laughs> which which unfortunately ends up being the motivation for a lot of people getting into this industry. Mm-hmm. Right is that it's like, oh, I want somewhere to go with my friends and to drink with them and stuff like that. And I just, of course, my counter to that always is like, have you seen our liquor collection? Have you seen our our bar in the back? Like, we're good. We have, we have the seats, you know? We have the booze collection. We don't need to open up a, a separate spot so i mean i but, think um, i think that, like i don't want i would never dissuade somebody from like following their dream to wanting to like get let's say get back into it you know like oftentimes it's like uh this this fond memory people have of um of their like college years you know of working to put themselves through through college or you know before college when they're in high school or just when they got out before they were like got that writing gig or whatever it is that they, that they do you know i wouldn't want to like take that away from someone my only issue comes when when people uh are of that mind and then uh didn't actually have experience running said place and all they were were like a server or a busser or or a bartender and they think that everything everything they need to know was just in that skill set right there um and then they they don't want to ask for help and they don't you know they don't want they think they just have all the answers to it um as if this isn't you know, a skilled labor, you know, as if this is just, you know, a bunch of dummies running around with plates in their hands. <laughs> well, I mean, I think, I think that's often how, how it's perceived is it is kind of like a thing for dummies and, and whatnot. And that's just, obviously it's not the reality. And, and I don't want to pers- just, you know, dissuade anybody from, from getting into it. It's just kind of like, but it's also being aware of the realities and everything like that. It's like, there's, there's certain, there's definitely certain things here where, it's kind of like, no, this is not a very glamorous uh, industry and there really is not a whole lot of room to make money. And I think that's also where, you know, this this woman was really able to take advantage of people because she was really living this glorious, uh, you know, luxurious life. And I mean, to me, that should have been the red flag. You know, it was just kind of like it's like, oh, you're you're hella bougie, but you're not like a celebrity chef. I have all the questions, you know, and um, that's, that's where I would have been like, no, 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 no one, no one is, is doing like, well, like that, you know, in in this industry. That's not true. There's a handful of people who do pretty well, um, you know, but they, they do well for sort of auxiliary reasons too. You know, they're able to take their celebrity from, 
uh, owning restaurants and like turn it into a book deal or turn it into a TV spot or well, and that's and that's what right, I'm saying. It's right, like these yeah. these these celebrity chefs and these people. Like I'm not going to sit here and be like, oh yeah, David Chang, you know, isn't popular and doesn't have fucking money. Like he's right. got an empire. Right. He's yeah. he's created that thing, but you know, but he talks about it. It's like you know the 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 money is not necessarily overflowing because of Momofuku, even though it's one of the most popular restaurants and it's a huge restaurant group across the world. It's just, you know, it's, it's all this stuff with Netflix, all of the stuff with Hulu, his book deals, his podcast network. Like, you know, there's all these different streams of revenue that are coming in and those are, that's the stuff that that's been created. And so, um, so that, I, I mean, and again, it's, we have some, we have some really successful um, restaurant groups here in Sacramento and they're also just, they're ran by some of the hardest working people I know, you know, and it's like, they're not living the very glamorous lives. It's just kind of like, Oh no, I've, I've been here for 16 hours today and I'm going to go home for three and then I have to go to, you know, the store tomorrow or whatever, you know, it's just like, there's these grand uh, it's just, it's, it's a lot of passion driven in this industry. And, um, as we all know, I'm just about making money at this point. So I'm looking at things in a lot more callous <laughs> yeah, way. You know, I, I, I also wouldn't – I, I want to be careful about uh, you know dissuading people from investing in the restaurant industry because uh, a, a very, very point-in-fact manner of speaking, the restaurant industry would not exist without um, independent investors and loans. You know, Banks don't give loans to restaurants and bars. You know, like you're not getting qualified credit um, in this in this way, unless you already own one or two places that can be used as an example or banked on. So f- first startup restaurants, you know, that that chef that's like crushing it, that knows what they're doing um, and might know you and you might have some money and you might be willing to uh, invest in them. I I always suggest that it's a good idea. I just think you should get your ducks in a row, right? Like ask the hard questions. Don't, don't, it's money. There's going to be hard questions with money. There should be hard questions with money, especially when it's your fucking money. Um, uh, and, and people will get uncomfortable and people will squirm and people, it's going to be an awkward conversation sometimes. Um, but I guarantee you that asking those questions is always better than just leaving them, uh, up to, uh, you know, up to an assumption, um, because let's say, uh, the chef, uh, or the operator does have the answer then that's great, you know, or, you know, maybe they don't have the answer and they make it up and then that's a red flag, or maybe they don't have the answer and they're like, but you know what? Like maybe they get defensive and then they come back to you a week later and they're like, you know what? Thanks for asking that question. Cause now I have an answer. <clears throat> Okay, so we're just going to kind of piggyback this whole subject. And the next thing that we wanted to talk about, there was an article written about how, you know, restaurants are picking up, they're getting busier. But right now, the biggest issue that it doesn't appear enough people are talking about is the labor issue. Um, And restaurants, bars, what have you, are unable to fill staffing needs right now. This is forcing these places to remain on limited hours. It's forcing them to turn people away at the door. And there's a lot of factors that are playing into this. Um, It's definitely not one size fits all, but it is a situation of people who are in this industry over the past year have now left 
and have found more stable work that maybe is a safer environment. There's definitely the factor of people receiving more by not working than by when they, when they were, which is, I think, uh, as a small issue of a much bigger issue that's at hand. And, um, you know, just the, the fact that it is a somewhat of a dangerous situation to be in a restaurant right now, especially if you have any compromises when it comes to your, uh, health. So, uh, I, I looked it up and I mean, I think, I think anybody can, can scroll through their Facebook or their Instagram right now and see a plenty of, um, plenty of uh, restaurants and stuff that are, that are listed and looking for, for places. And one of the guys that we know, um, uh, Jake Tarong Jones actually put together a Google doc here in Sacramento. And on the Google doc right now, what he has is the restaurant, what position they're looking for, where it's located, when you should drop off your resume and who to. Um, and I think he just started this, he just started this list and it's already up to 24 spots that are all looking for people to fill. Um, so, so Leon, you know, you've, you've returned back to your restaurant. You're there. You guys are, you guys are trying to make it. Is Alora having any of those staffing issues at this point? Um, you know, or how, what's, what's some of the inside, inside workings of, of that super fancy restaurant in East Sac? Yeah. Um, well, when we initially closed, you know, and staff got furloughed, um, they kept a few people on in the kitchen, you know, cause they were doing to go orders the whole time. They kept on a couple of staff members who would help them with the day to day operations. And then when the time came back for us to, you know, open our doors to the public again for, you know, indoor dining or uh, even patio dining at limited capacity. Uh, yeah. I mean, we didn't have the means to employ the full staff back just because we didn't have enough seats to warrant the amount of staff. So our staff got cut damn near in half up in front of the house, but we were fortunate enough to have, you know, a good chunk of the core like skeleton crew, if you will, um, come back. Although, you know, now that it's starting to get busier, we're looking to, you know, open another day. We're looking to be open on Sundays. I lost my other bartender and I had a really hard time finding another bartender for some time. Um, you know, we, we just now hired a couple of extra servers, but it took us some time to get to that. I mean, it, it was almost like, Damn, I thought all these people wanted to come back to work, but, you know, it wasn't that easy. Not only because of, yeah, like you said, people getting used to getting that unemployment check, which was pretty nice, or, you know, people not coming back because of uh, concerns for their health or safety. Um, it wasn't as detrimental as it could have been. We've been pretty fortunate, though, to be honest. They've, they've been really good to the staff that's been there and um, we've got a pretty good crew going right now, although it's short, it's, I'm sorry, it's a small crew and a lot of us are, you know, working a lot. So we're starting to get spread out a little bit thin, um, a little tired, myself included, but now that I've finally got someone else that I can work with behind the bar, I'm not having to be there every night. So that's nice. Um, I get to have a night off a week now, which is great. But yeah, all things considered, we, we got yeah, so pretty the, lucky. 
I think I, one of the other things that it talks about in this article is just like is is employee retention, yeah. you know, and um, I think that that really stood out to me because uh, you know in our industry and especially in that in that position, like you're often working for minimum wage, sometimes less depending on what the position is, and you're really relying on tips, um, and it's hard to put yourself at risk and really at exhaustion for a restaurant that maybe you don't have ownership stake in. So one of the, one of the ones that stood out to me was like Olive Garden, for example, has divvied up $17 million um, across all of its employees to hand out bonuses, just as kind of like a thank you for just enduring everything that you've endured over, over the past year. Um, uh, Chris, when you heard this is like, you know, what, what are you think some of the things that, that restaurants and bars can do to a attract people to work for them and then B hold on to them. Cause this is like this, you know, we don't know what capacities are going to look like moving forward, but it doesn't seem like it's getting that much easier soon. It's just getting very, very busy. Training. Number one answer is training. And so one thing most bars and restaurants don't do uh, except for corporate restaurants is train. Um, and when I say, when I say training, I don't mean teaching people just what goes into the food and what goes into the drinks and how they're made um, and how they should dress and how they should do their roll-ups. I mean, um, develop a training program, teaching people uh, the skills that they need to succeed um, and uh, across, across the board uh, and maybe even cross training people. Um, so taking, taking front of house and teaching them skills in the back, whether or not they ever use them uh, and vice versa. Um, giving people a reason to uh, feel like they've been invested in is proven to be the number way number one way to not only just retain staff um, but also attract staff. Um, giving people a skill set uh, beyond what you know, just continuing education. Um, I this story actually made me laugh, and and from an incredibly cynical point of view, uh, just because I'm a lifer in this industry. Uh, as as is Leon, but um, you know we we often hear uh, whenever we've complained uh, as a let's say as a, a community that you know uh, that people shit on restaurant industry people pretty often, which they do. And there's always one jackass in the crowd who's like, "Well, if you don't like it, get a better fucking job." And now uh, all a lot of people have gone and gotten better jobs. <laughs> Uh, and now these same people won't be able to go back to their restaurants as often or as frequently or as conveniently as they probably have. Um, and I doubt that they'll have any circumspect about it and going, well, I don't understand. In their minds, they're probably just like all these fucking lazy restaurant workers are just collecting unemployment and that's it. <laughs> uh, when literally every single person I know who is in the industry uh, couldn't wait to, to just get to work. It didn't really matter. But I think a lot of people were – at least the older, older crowd, you know, like my body hurts, my soul hurts, my pockets hurt. Like it's time to find something else. If this isn't like, if there's no future here, or if this is as detrimental to my health and my psyche and my emotions and my family and yada, 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 uh, as it can be, um, then I need to find something else that's going to pay me and take care of me. And I can't tell you how many people I've talked to in the past year who are like, oh, yeah, I work in the cannabis industry now and I've got, uh, you know, uh, 401k. I've got health insurance. I get PTO, uh, all these things, you know, uh, I clock into work. I go home. I don't feel guilty about it. 
you know, um, it's not a toxic work environment, theoretically. Um, a lot of things. So there's a lot of people in this industry who have crazy skill sets. And uh, the number one biggest skill set that I think Pete, that often gets overlooked in, in the bar and restaurant world is the fact that these that the people who are in it and in it for a long time know how to work with people and know how to take direction and know how to give direction. And that's a huge skill set, man. I've talked to a lot of like um, uh, engineers, chemical engineers, programming engineers. I've talked to I've talked to uh, blue collar workers who, you know, are construction workers. They don't have the sociability skills. They can't like manage, manage customers at the same time as like managing projects, um, and right. be able to do that. And that's a huge skill set that restaurant workers bring. So they are very attractive to hire across many different sectors of our society. And we never get credit for that until now when we're actually looking and getting, and getting hired. It's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, I think that I think for for myself, you know, I've I've been I've been seeing this firsthand, right? I have a pretty big territory. And everywhere that I go, I'm hearing the same thing. And and I think even to a certain degree like myself, I was like I was like, man, you know, people just people just would rather sit at home. They'd rather do this, rather do that. And then I really started thinking about, and I was really reflecting as I was reading this article and how they brought up the other, the other stuff of what people went and did and things like that. And I was like, I was like, I can't think of anybody who's just sitting at home right now. You know, like they all just went and did something else. And, um, and I think that, you know, for, for a lot of the, a lot of the super critics of, of this stuff, it's kind of like for the younger generation of, of bartenders and, and servers and hostess and stuff like that. And back of the house, it's like, they went and, and realized that, okay, this isn't forever. Like, even if I get this, this, you know, government help for six months, like, okay, I'm 22. Like that doesn't work long-term. I need to figure this out. I need to go and do something else. And, and, and I think you're right. Like they just got introduced to these industries that you're kind of like, like, Oh, I can make the same money. I don't get, Paraded at work by some Karen, you know, um, it's just way, it's way healthier. I mean, we, we had that conversation with, with our, with buddy newbie when he was on the show where he had that, he had that short stint where he went and worked at home Depot. And he was like, I was like, well, how do you like, he goes, I love it. I clock in, I do my job. I clock out and I go home. I don't talk to anybody. Nobody asks me anything, you know, and it's just kind of like, you know, and now, and now, but he's back into it. Like, you know, he's going to be managing another bar. So it's like, you know, again, he is another lifer and he can't, he can't really walk away from it. But I do think that there's, there's been kind of like this lazy, this lazy narrative um, that, you know, oh, well, people don't want to come back because they're, they're making more money. And it's just kind of like, it's like, well, not everywhere. And, and if you really look at like the line cook issue, which you see a lot of line cook um, positions available is like, that was an issue before COVID. You know, oh, I yeah. constantly oh, saw yeah. job postings for, for that. And I think what it ends up illustrating is, and we talked about it a lot over the, over the past year was just kind of like, you know, we, we've been, been able to go out and eat dinner for a long time at, in all reality, discounted rates. And yeah. I think now <clears throat> if you're going to want to have quality people, you're going to have to pay them more money. In fact, there was one, one restaurant group that up in Montana where they're paying they're paying people eighteen to nineteen dollars an hour, and then what did their PR person say? We're not having a problem getting people because we're paying them this 
this you know higher rate than everybody else and we're holding on to these people because they can't go elsewhere kind of a reference back to to brian nelson i mean some of the problems like he had was that in in tahoe because it's really slim pickings like you know he had he would train these guys up and they'd be making 21 22 an hour and then someone else would offer him 25 you know it's like it's just it's it's extremely competitive and and I think what that's going to end up doing is it is going to pass on some of the cost to the consumer, mm-hmm. but we really have been getting away with it for a long time. Like we've been eating these meals that, that probably should cost more, but because back of the house, front of the house is getting paid so little, we were able to do that. So um, can I, well, can I, can I, I jump I, on e- something on even that? More I, than, yeah, go, Leon, ahead. go yeah. ahead. So one of the things that I, I wanted to point out and, you know, to that point was is that um, at at my restaurant on on the check it says we we put a three percent kitchen equity fee on our bill on for every single customer. Um, so not only are the kitchen staff making more than minimum wage per hour, but they, there's also that extra three percent of all sales that happen that are going to the back of the house and back of the house gets part of our tip pool as well a little a little percentage of it goes back so the dishwashers are making much more than they would anywhere else so we've that's you know we've we're very fortunate in that we've been able to retain some of our our employees for that alone and you know that's just all props to our owners for having the foresight to do that doesn't happen everywhere though I think oftentimes, though, like the, this this question about tip outs um, uh, gets brought up a lot, and I've been hearing this discussion for a long time. And we certainly don't need to go into all the all the uh, dirty and ugly um, aspects of it. My issue always comes with like why penalize front of house uh, to pay back of house, right? Like if your if your front of house is like busting their ass and making tips, um, and then you uh, your tip out goes sky high to take care of your chefs who yes are prepping the food um but they're also not dealing with uh the emotional Mm -hmm. stress that come that comes with um talking to guests all day and and point in fact if you talk to most chefs and you go okay well you come out here and wait tables (laughs) and they're like no i'm good I don't want to do that. You know, they're like, they're considered skilled labor, right? And like, they're considered the bosses of the restaurant. And yet still like, there's like this, this narrative that front of house is keeping money away from back of house. And therefore we have to take money from front of house and the servers and the bartenders and give it to back of house in order to make sure that they get paired, get paid a fair, fair wage. When in reality, like, like Alora does, right? Like you can, you can, add a small little a small little percentage point on the bottom of the bottom of that bill and it just helps pay those pay those bills and yes margins are super thin and yes it's a it's a fair argument to have that like restaurant owners can't afford to pay people $30 an hour across you know across the board yeah that's a fair conversation to have mm-hmm. But the reality is, is you don't you don't get to pit your front of house against your back of house and back of house against your front of house um, if you want to have a successful restaurant. Yeah. Let, let me let me ask you this because you know I've I've definitely been been to those spots and like you know and have have enjoyed uh, Alora as well and 
you know, Alora is is an experience. It's a very special place. And you feel special from the moment you walk in to the moment you leave. It's customer service, it's relationships, it's feeling like you are the most important person there. And I went to, uh, I had a really nice dinner as well at, at this place, uh, uh, Torque in Napa. Yeah. Very similar, right? Very, very beautiful place. All this stuff had the the um, the Corona tax tacked onto their stuff too, which I'm totally I'm totally fine with doing that. I'm totally fine with paying that at Allure as well because I know that I'm getting this exceptional experience, right? But let's say I go to uh, you know a sports bar or a place that's nice but not overly nice. I mean, are people going to be willing to throw down? for somebody in the back of the house in a situation like that, where maybe I'm just sitting at the bar and I'm watching the game and stuff like that. I mean, is that a concept that translates only to fine dining and and stuff like that? Or do you think it can work at a sports bar? I mean, do you even do it like that? Or you just raise overall prices? I mean, how do you go about that? I don't think it could be justified in those other types of places. I mean, we were doing this, mind you, before, the pandemic hit. Right. So, right. you know, okay. cause our, our chef feels that his back of the house, his chefs back there deserve it. You know, they're a talented group of people back there. But if I was to have, you know, a kitchen equity fee, as they call it, um, tossed onto my bill at just a regular ass place where I'm getting a sandwich, I would be a little weary of that. Yeah. Cause you're not getting, the whole package of the experience, you know, you're just getting, yeah, but you know, uh, the the counter to that is also, if you're buying a sandwich, that kitchen equity at 3% is going to be like 15 cents. Right. If you're buying, right. If you're like, it's, it's not going to be anything that you give a shit about. Right. But it's still with all those sandwiches adds up to being something to someone else. You're not, you know, that, that it's not going to be a $10 or $15 excess. For right. that, right? Like you're, it's going to be a, like a twenty cents, fifteen cents. It's something you don't give a shit about, you know. Sure. Um, so I, I think it's to, it's totally doable there. And by no means is it a perfect system. I like I have yet to see a perfect system. And you know, I've traveled the world, eating and drinking in lots of places. And there have definitely been things that I've enjoyed more, and things that I I, I I thought were flawed incredibly. I and I will say that in America, I think we have one of the most flawed restaurant systems. Uh, right. in terms of well, uh, caring for its employees anywhere in the world. To Drew's point, though, it's like either it's going to happen one way or the other. It's going to either be the, like that or the prices just get raised under the guise of something else, which either way, sure. it's, it's got to happen. I mean, it's the economics of it. I mean, it's, right. there's – yeah, the, the customer is footing the bill no matter what. Yes. I mean, I mean, and that and, – and then saying, well, why doesn't the owner just pay? I'm like, well, who do you think pays the owner? It's the yeah. fucking customers. So it's the same, same, you know. Okay, so so let me ask you guys this, and we're gonna we'll we'll close this one out because obviously we can go on and on about this, but current state of affairs, this is this is an issue everywhere that I that I personally feel is gonna lead to more closures. Cause I just don't I mean, I just don't think that people are are going to be able to find people to come back what is your what's your outlook at this time chris i don't see it that way 
I think that there, I think that there's a hiccup. I think, um, I think that jobs, um, especially in this industry tend to get filled because at least entering into the industry, it's a, uh, it's low skill. And then you develop from there. Um, I think the sad part is that, uh, like we've mentioned, you know, the skilled people, the people who've been in for a long time, uh, are taking those skills and taking them elsewhere. Uh, which is funny because, and you'll notice that I keep using the word skill because it's skilled fucking labor. I don't care what anybody says. Um, uh, and it's, it's, you know, something that you, you learn a lot from every day you go to work. Um, and so I, I think you'll find that there's, there's going to be a whole new generation who comes in. And, uh, that's why my, my answer to you was, uh, how do you attract and how do you keep people? And it's fucking training, man. Um, uh, training with along with treating people well um, it's the it's the economy of emotions rather than necessarily just money right like um, uh, if you treat people well and you train them and you give them something to benefit their lives and also theoretically pay them at least decently they're not going to have a reason to want to leave uh, they'll want to stay they'll want to uh, support you because you supported them um, and I've definitely been proven wrong about that a, a few times, but more often than not, it's that as a, as a management skill, as a life skill, like that's, um, that has proven to be the saving grace from anything I've ever done in my entire life. Okay. Leon, where, where do you stand on it? Where do you see this going? You know, I, I'm just an eternal optimist in this one, man. I, I can't walk away from this industry. <laughs> You know, even in the few months that I was forced to be away from it and, you know, collecting unemployment, I felt guilty doing that, but I, I had to do it just to, you know, put food on my kid's table. Um, but I'm optimistic that we're going to get back, man, and it's going to come back with a bang. I, I don't see, I don't see this industry going anywhere. I know we're in a bit of a fucked up time right now, but I agree with, I agree with what Chris said. And that's really hard for me to say that sentence right there, but (laughs) 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 I just felt like dirty saying that No, but um, all bullshit aside, you're welcome. I I do fully agree with, with Chris on that one. (laughs) Disgusting. Disgusting. You know who's dope? Them over there. And you now know it's time dope? for my favorite segment. Them over there. Oh, we're doing two dopes. Hold on, we're gonna wait. Is there a third? See if he does it again. Nope, just two dopes. You know who's dope? Oh, <laughs> them over there. Them so over yes, there. them over there is dope, and we're gonna talk about our dope followers. Yeah, These could be. That um, these these could be social media accounts. It can be books, podcasts, movies, things like that. Just things that we, as the hosts of the Good Bottle Podcast, and our guests think that you should be following at home. So, Leon, who is your dope follow this week? Hmm. Okay, I, I thought about this one, and my dope follow is is a buddy of mine who has been just cranking out beautiful looking drinks left, right, and center. Uh, his name's Eric Kopke, and he goes by the handle at Som Drunk Dude, S O M M Drunk Dude, and he's just cranking out these 
gorgeous cocktails and he starts everyone off with like a little caption of a quote and tells this like little story and then gives the recipe and the technique on how to make them. And I think just through and through, if that's, you know, I'm into stuff like that. I like looking at pretty looking drinks. It's just a nice little feel good, good account to follow. So shout out to Eric. Some drunk dude. He gets my vote this week. He's dope over there. Yeah, yeah, I, 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 uh, I gotta agree with that one. I, um, I've, I've been enjoying his, uh, his thread quite a bit lately. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good call. Drew, what about uh, you, Chris? Okay, I'll do, I'll do mine. Um, so I'm gonna do a somewhat uh, shameless plug, but um, our import company, which is known as Impex Beverages, is uh, really embraced the the virtual the virtual world over the past year. They've done tons of interviews and stuff like that. And what they did last year was a deep dive with a lot of the different distilleries that we worked with. And so they're doing a similar thing this year, but it's going to be a little bit more conversational and just getting to know um, some of the people who are behind the brands that we work with and import into the country. And, and I think it's, I think it's really cool. And I think it's one of the, um, one of the positives that's come out of, out of COVID is that it's it's taken the world and it's introduced us to, you know, a, a form of communication that was always present but wasn't necessarily being utilized in the best ways. And I think uh, with with stuff like this, where we're going to have people from all over the world, uh, you know, Israel, Wales, Scotland, uh, India, Australia, like we're going to have we're going to have numerous guests. They're going to come in. Uh, you're going to be able to answer, you'll be able to ask questions to these people. You'll be able to just kind of get to know their personalities, get to know about their whiskeys, about the different spirits that they're producing. Um, so you can follow the Instagram account, which is going to be Impex, which is I-M-P-E-X underscore B-E-V. So Impex underscore Bev. Uh, and then if, and that can take you to like our, if you look for Impex Beverages on Facebook, you can find, find us there. And then also Impex Beverages on YouTube. Uh, where where these things will be hosted and um, no I just think we're I think it's just going to be a really fun thing over the next it's, I think it's every other Wednesday the first one will be this Wednesday which is going to be the seventh at five thirty either jump on Facebook Live or on YouTube and and see some fun conversations just with people that that are interesting and and unique so uh, so that's so that's my follow uh, Chris what about you oh man I got a fun one today. Uh, this one was actually I almost I almost sent it to both of you guys earlier today, uh, um, uh, because I had a hard time just holding on to this one. Um, <laughs> uh, but this was this is uh, on Facebook and it's uh, fictitious Jesus, uh, and the entire account is uh, uh, comics, videos, um, uh, like photoshops of jesus in like ridiculous uh like poses and what have you like one of them someone photoshopped the cross out of out of jesus on the cross and then um photoshopped the jesus onto onto uh the side of a road so it looks like he's being forced to like do a dui test the jesus hilarious (laughs) the jesus yeah uh, there's another one that someone uh, someone photoshopped the, that same Jesus underneath a um, a car like in a mechanic shop, so it looks like he's like holding up the car. <laughs> it's fucking hilarious. Jesus, uh, no it's uh, in in lieu of uh, Easter. I thought it was a good one. Uh, I had a I had uh, someone brought it to my attention earlier this week, and uh, I've been enjoying it all week. So that's mine. Fictitious Jesus. 
Oh, that is awesome. So yeah, so go out and and follow these accounts. We guarantee that you will enjoy them. And uh, you know, I want to th- I want to throw something out to to our listeners this week. If there's someone that you think that we should be following, why don't you send us some some dope follows? Because um, if you're listening to this podcast, obviously you have good taste in dope people. So uh, <laughs> except for Leo, I'm going to put that out there. Uh, so send us send us some good stuff and and see what uh, what we can come up with. But those are our dope follows for the week. Yeah, word. Oh, that's it, everybody. Man, that was a good one this week. I would like to uh, end this lovely podcast episode by just saying that uh, this episode was brought to you by Fluid Concepts. Uh, The music that you are listening to right now was brought to you by Leon. That's right, Leon. Motherfucking more. Uh, And his brother Chase, the one with the good looks. And Chase more. That's right. And Chase War, yeah, the, the pretty one. Uh, and before we go and kill these bottles that uh, that we've been drinking, and I literally have like two sips left of mine, uh, we ask that if you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. And I have to add, because I had one of our listeners this week, Chris, tell us that leaving a five-star review can be somewhat difficult. We know that, which is why we appreciate it so much. So go out, find a way to leave us a five-star review because it really does help us. And believe it or not, guys, Even if you we're, lie to we're building a lot of momentum right now. And Yeah, and, and part of it is because of these reviews. Um, you know, of course, you can follow us on Instagram or Facebook at The Good Bottle Podcast or on our personal accounts, which mine is dgarrison6 and Chris's is Chris Sinflair. Uh, Leon, where, where can they follow you online? Uh, I am at UrbanSom. Urban some. Um, shout out to my brother Chase Moore if you want to follow him. He's got a lot of music up. Uh, Chase Moore Music with two O's. And um, Alora Sacramento. Shout out to Alora Sacramento. You can find it at Alora Sacramento on Instagram as well. Um, come see me. Let me make you something delicious. Have a great time. Have a great meal. I love you guys. Thank you for having me on this week. It is. Thank you, brother. And it, it really is an amazing place. We can't we can't recommend it enough. And if you want to support the podcast um, or you know give us money to go to Alora, <laughs> check out anchor.fm slash good bottle podcast. Uh, I'm going to second that one. It's been fun, if you guys. would like for us to cover a story, or if you're working on with a brand that wants to be featured, please email us at thegoodbottlepodcast at gmail.com. And as a reminder, you can purchase the bottles that we drank on this episode at thegoodbottleshop.com. And until next time, cheers. Cheers, cheers. Yeah. Hey, Leon, guess what? Leon, you're the best. You're the Leon, best, guess mate. What? Oh, thanks, mate. Hey, Leon, 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 guess what? What? Yeah. Leon, yes. guess what? Yes, yes, what? You suck. <laughs>